0: This is One North Stories. Our goal here is quite simple. We provide hyper-local, brand-based storytelling at the intersection of science, technology, and business here in Singapore with a global perspective. We are starting with a launch series focused on technology startups, and then plan to take the podcast broader, telling our stories, your stories, about the Singapore deep tech ecosystem. Whether you work as a venture capitalist on Sand Hill Road or in Southeast Asia, already doing R&D in Singapore, or perhaps a student dreaming big about technology, or someone in between. Join us to learn about the exciting technology being developed in our labs in Singapore, their translation journeys to market, and the inspirational people coming together to make yesterday's dream reality. If you have future episode ideas, segment ideas, or want to partner with us on this exciting journey, please get in touch. Our contact details are in the show notes. These are our stories. We hope they inspire you to create your own. And now, on to the show.
1: On the skin live more than a trillion bacteria and fungi and viruses that coexist and help to maintain healthy skin. And what happens is that if there's one particular one that prevails, it can be really infectious and then cause inflammation, irritation. So a lot of people that suffer, for example, skin diseases like atopic dermatitis or really acne can be understood by how the microbiome behaves. So our goal is really to understand and capture, detect the microbiome to find new players that we can manipulate, change, mm-hmm. to improve people's skin. We entered as a cosmetic, mm-hmm. working with cosmetic companies, mm-hmm. but ultimately we want to enter in the therapeutic aspect. Right. it be sequential as a testing solution for clinical trials for a scientist that turned entrepreneur, that gave to GIS to give a public speaking about innovation and how to become an entrepreneur. And funny enough, the very first slide that he showed <laughs> was a comparison of impact factor of in science paper
2: mm.
1: and a comic book, right? So he just posted it right there with all the professors lined up, like so provocative, you know, and then you can see the impact factor of a comic book going up to a 1 billion or something. And the most cited New England Journal, like Impact Factor 70 something. That's right. And he starts with that, right? And then that blows away everyone.
0: For this launch episode, guest host Claire Bellis of Genome Institute of Singapore sits down with Elbert Dashi, co-founder of Sequential Bio. Elbert tells us about his founding journey from an early interest in biomedical sciences, finding his way to Singapore as a SINGA scholar doing his research at GIS, meeting his co-founder, Oliver Worsley, startup pitching competitions with not their best ideas, and then founding and bootstrapping Sequential. He shares about the gut-wrenching decision to turn down an early investor, educating consumers on what a microbiome is and how it changes, finding the right market fit, B2C, B2B, to b, to b to c and then growing the company while adding capabilities from skin to scalp to vulva and oral. And an ultimate ambition of entering the therapeutic space on to the interview.
2: Hi everyone. This is Claire and I'm here today with Albert Dashi, and I would like to introduce him. First of all, by asking Albert, what is your background?
1: Well, thank you again for the invitation. It's really great to see you Claire again after such a long time. My name is Albert. I'm a CSO co-founder of Sequential, a company that focuses in skin microbiome. So microbiome is our technology that we apply and use it to understand a bit more what skin evolves like how it changes, how disease develops, but more looking at it from a different perspective, different point of view in this case.
2: How about in terms of how you got to this point? How about your education? How did you get to Singapore? And in terms of science and technology, what piqued your interest specifically in getting to Sequential?
1: Yeah, so I grew up in Switzerland, but I was born in a small country, Kosovo. Ethnically, I'm Albanian, so my parents moved from Kosovo when I was really a young kid. We moved a little bit everywhere in Europe. After my birth, we left Kosovo, uh, went to Croatia, lived in five years in Croatia, before going to Switzerland. I grew up on the Italian side of Switzerland, and that's really where I started my education and passion about science and technology. Mm -hmm. During my education, really, I was quite interested in exploring different cultures, but different technologies, and I was going where, basically, the interest was, in this case, for Switzerland was quite wide and there were different universities I could have gone. So I decided to go to Bern University and opt for biomedical science. That's where I started my bachelor's degree on biomedical science. The more I was involved in really this world of life science and understanding molecular biology, I was eager to explore the medical field, but also more the molecular by bi- basic technology field. So at that time, I was... I knew a little about the molecular world, so I was working a lot in hospitals and my master took me actually into a purely medical field. Mm-hmm. So I was working with the patients mm-hmm. and at that point I realized mm, there was something missing in terms of understanding the diseases, because at the moment we are curing or working on these patients with what we see. So exploring that discovery, understanding a bit more and taking a next step, that's where I decided to pursue a PhD first, mm-hmm. but I wasn't really sure where. I knew there was really great universities in the United States, but then I heard about Singapore. Mm. And uh, Singapore as a country knew a little bit. That was back in 2013, 2014. Okay. And that's where I decided to explore a little bit more. And what took me to the next step is be a bit more proactive and engaged and see what was going on. And I saw that there was a lot of interesting technology, especially in the molecular field, the yes. genetics, that was happening in Singapore. So that's where I decided to take a shot and just go for it. <laughs> I wasn't really sure 100%, but I think Thinking back was the best decision at this point.
2: I can see that, Albert. It's like been quite the journey, not just in the early part, which, you know, you're describing your family's movement around, but it's actually aided in you being able to come over to Singapore. And I understand that you undertook your PhD here at the Genomics Institute of Singapore. Correct. Tell us about how you got to get to the PhD in Singapore.
1: By the time, I met this professor at the Genome Institute who was very involved into applying genetics on disease and development. And uh, one way to go and apply for a PhD is easy, however, you need financial backup, which is a scholarship. So I was looking at several scholarships that Singapore was offering and found the SINGA scholarship, which is Singapore International Award Scholarship, Mm -hmm. is a really great um, scholarship for international students who would want to give it a shot and come to Singapore and access to all this technology. The process is simple, in a way. <laughs> you apply it, but you have to go through several interviews. So you have to be in front of a jury of, I remember, six to seven people. They ask you a question about your PhD, what your aspirations are. And once you get in, I think it's a really great opportunity. It's a 4 years program. And I think that was organized by ASTAR. So ASTAR has several scholarships. One of these is Synga. Mm. But then you need to be attached to a university. That's right. So I was an U.S. medical school student. As a PhD student, you know, it's quite so to say, I would say, put in quote-unquote, a lonely, so to say, journey. Journey, yes. And, but that lonely journey also kind of makes you understand where your limits are mm. and push for better work, and really with a good scientific rigor. Mm-hmm. But at the end of that, the, that journey, you come up with several questions answered, but more questions mm. to be answered. Mm. So I was in a position where I was still interested in basic science, but I wanted that translational aspect. I wanted to see how can we bring this science that we discovered over the years mm. to people. Mm. So that was always my core thought every time. I mean, you think you are the only one at that point that discovered that, and you wanted to make it accessible to everyone else without really just only going with a paper publication. I think exactly. paper publication is very good. It really you want to be have high impact factors. However, how many people do read those papers? Mm. Globally. Yeah,
2: that's
1: right. Um, So how much is the impact? Mm. For sure. I mean, maybe 200 scientists read that paper. And And how often
2: is it translated into an actual impact for the community? That's also true.
1: But also might be translated in within 10 to 20 years. Who knows? Mm. But I I wanted to have it accessible quicker. So with that in mind, really, everything started from there and Sequential was born.
2: Mm. You seem like the go-getter. I'm getting this theme of go-getter and teaming up with another go-getter. Tell me a little bit about how yes. you and Ollie have established the founders of Sequential. And I just want to invite the listeners in on a little bit of information. Albert and I actually started at the Genome Institute within months of one another. So we've been there at a very similar time, and I've noticed Albert become quite the entrepreneur. I'd like to hear more about how you and co-founder Ollie basically started this. And what was the journey?
1: Oliver Worsley, which is the other co-founder, at the moment he is working and managing the New York and UK labs that we have. Um. But Oli was also a scholar, like I was from Single Scholars as well. Ah, yes. So Oli joined the lab a year before me. At the beginning, Oli and I we were not really much in communication because I was trying to understand how the w- lab works and how people work. And as I said, PhD is a lonely journey, but setting up a company is really not its not that easy to go alone. So you always have to have the best partner or at least somebody has that you can tag along to help you in know, different things mm. so company or developing a company or a startup i wouldn't suggest it to go alone you cannot do it alone mm. anyway we were both always speaking about how can we do something to translate what we are discovering and delia and i were always meeting up with the people but also going drinking coffees and discussing about not much science but the application of science we had so many ideas you know our mind was like this is cool this is great the very serious part that started to become quite a, an interest of us is when we first competed in a competition that was organized by PNG.
2: Yes, this is the one. I think yes. this is the so one aiming at, yes.
1: It's called, it was called back then, I don't know if it's still going on, it's called Yes Competition. Basically, companies like PNG organize this small event and you go to this event and you can speak and interact with different individuals. And part of their program is you set up a small Fictitious company, yes. an idea that can be potentially commercialized, and you develop that idea and develop the business behind. It. Again, this was an idea that eventually could become true, mm-hmm. but at that time was very futuristic. So to sure, say, sure. yeah. the most important part is that the business was strong. Mm-hmm. So what companies like P&G wants to kind of educate consumers, but also educate scientists mm-hmm. to how to bring this, yeah, how to bring this to the consumer. And then we had this idea of a hair product. Do you remember, I think we spoke, we had this idea of a hair product where you can help people that had hair loss problems. That can be due to normal natural hair loss, but also athletes that lose their hair loss. And then we have another idea for cancer patient. So that was an idea, very futuristic, and develop the business. And we pitched to PNG, it was a six months program. We were meeting between each others after work, Mm -hmm. developing the business and do everything that was needed to be done. We had some training.
2: Oh, that's From what PNG. I was going to ask, if there was any support, exactly, was. guidance, mentorship, they offered that, did they?
1: they offer us, not intensive, but uh, mm. was, I think every two weeks we were meeting with somebody who was part of a particular part of the business, you know, growth of business, consumer understanding and all this part of the entrepreneurs that mm-hmm. like, you need to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, the science was strong mm. to a certain point, but we knew little. That's what I was about to
2: ask. Did that add a lot to also where you're going? Did, was it opening your eyes to what the next stages for this process it, is it looking did. like? Yeah.
1: It did open because we were failing in so many things. Wow. Like uh, projections on how this will cost, understanding consumers. So some things that actually that part already helped us to understand. Mm. Well,
2: not, did you know at the time that you were failing or was it not until the guidance came up?
1: Until the guidance yeah, came up. Yeah, right. Because we were so sure that oh, this is really yes. great. Yeah, we yeah. were making money. Basically, yeah. <laughs> in our projection, we were making money. Until we, we spoke to these people and they just like throw us have you think have you thought about this, what are the cost of this? Mm-hmm. Do you see your projection really correctly? Have you really assessed your price point? Or is the cost involved have mm-hmm. you consistent logistics? You know, things that you never even picture or mm-hmm. think about
2: it. So it sounds like like for these questions, you guys didn't reflect poorly on it. You saw them as blind spots or gaps that are only going to benefit pitches going forward.
1: Absolutely. I mean, there were so many things that we completely missed. We didn't see it. And uh, although the idea was good and the technology was interesting, that's what stops businesses mm-hmm. to go forward. Mm-hmm. We can have a great idea, but then it really stays like a paper published in a really nice journal. And to bring it to that next step is narrow down mm. the focus because we had this great technology. We can do this, we can do that. Oh wow, we can do what we can propose these ideas. Yeah. We can propose this business. But the important things, and then that's what I all, always wanted to say to everyone is that when you start a business, really be for it doesn't have to be hundred percent good, because like on an, an, a phone on Apple, there's always a new version that comes. Yeah. So just have something that is working, okay, and bring that one to the consumer, and have feedback. So things that I was thinking that our technology, when we had that pitch, was really straightforward. This is it. This is going to work.
2: Yes. Yeah. But
1: we never expose it to the consumer. You never expose it to the mm-hmm. business itself. But it turns out we ended up winning that competition, so we
2: were about not that, that. bad. <laughs> this is the most impressive part that you're leaving out because it involved quite this ceremony and quite the journey. We Share were all a little surprised. More. We were yeah. all surprised because we were getting all these bad feedbacks.
1: <laughs> this is not good. This was not really done properly. I don't think this makes sense. You know all this business feedback. So at the time of the pitch, which was done here in Singapore, mm. we did a really great pitch. That's what I nailed thought. it. Nailed it. Yeah and uh, we closed there was other the people also pitching and we thought compared to the other people i think we are on the same level sure, not sure. too bad and uh, everything was closed they were doing the assessment and you know soon awarding mm-hmm. who was the winner and in the meantime we we're waiting for the order with the award the, the person on charge came to us and said like that was a really great idea but your business was really bad wow oh. but we didn't win <sighs> then they awarded <laughs> and they said like best business plan Back then we were called Circalis is the company that mm, okay. fictitious. I was like, whoa, oh, that's strange. Best innovative idea, Circalis. Yeah. <laughs> Best pitch, Sercalis. I was that. like, so we took all the awards. Yes. Okay. And part of that winner was actually having a business trip to the Royal Society in London to pitch the same idea. Boom. I was like, this is such a great surprise, but like, did we do less worse than everyone else? Or how is that we actually ended up winning this? And that was, for me and Oli, really the point where, okay, this is it. I think we, we need to take it to the next level. Yes. Yeah. And when we returned back, I was towards my f- end of my PhD, and Oli just finished the PhD. And we didn't pitch sequential to PNG because we didn't want them to just you know, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> and so that's where we started putting our thoughts together and then developing something. And GNS was very supportive. There were several programs with uh, this GS Innovation Program.
2: That's right. The Innovation Fellow. Innovation Fellow. Yes. And that's where Oli applied for the Innovation Fellow. Mm. We got the GS Innovation Fellow Forum, Mm. and that's where we started building. Those several pitches brought you to the concept of sequential and the skin microbiome. Tell us more what is the skin microbiome. I'm not sure that everyone is going to understand from a very technical perspective, but we all have one. This is Albertsfield. What does the technology do in skin microbiome?
1: When we first thought about how can we bring that level of discovery and everything that we learned to in our PhDs, was how can we combine and understand human health with combination of your genetics and your environment. But a lot of people put the environment like so many things that can change and alter your epigenetics. Within the environment, we have several components, but we spotted as the microbiome a really interesting field To understand how it does impact your health, we thought that skin could be a really good opportunity Mm -hmm. for us to use the genetics, so you as a person Mm -hmm. and your environment. So, in this case, we look at the microbiome Mm -hmm. as two components put together to give the best understanding of your skin health. The microbiome is a collection of microorganisms that lives in a surface. A lot of people, maybe, that are tuning in on this podcast know about this gut microbiome. Similar, so to say, principle can be applied on the skin. On the skin, live more than a trillion bacteria and fungi and viruses that coexist yes. and help to maintain healthy skin. When these microorganisms are not feeling as balanced as you want to be, they start triggering a certain uh, dyssymbiosis, which means that it's not balanced enough. Yes. And there is a prevalence of a certain microbes that you don't want to be in your skin.
2: Interesting.
1: And what happens is that if there's one particular one that prevails, it can be really infectious and then cause inflammation, irritation. So a lot of people that suffer, for example, skin diseases like atopic dermatitis or really acne can be understood by how the microbiome behaves. So our goal is really to understand and capture, detect the microbiome, to find new players that we can manipulate, change, mm-hmm. to improve people's skin in this case. So that's our somehow core technology in this case. So how we do it? We have developed in-house a simple patch, it's called the sequential patch, Yes. where People, consumers in this case, can apply this patch, which is a mild adhesive property, on your forehead, in Mm -hmm. this case on the skin. You peel it, you insert it in a tube, but you send it back to us. We can collect from that patch all these microorganisms that lives in your skin. And uh, what we do, we go with these sequencing tools that we can pinpoint and find which bacteria are present in your skin and quantify it. Right. Based on the quantification that we see, we look at the average and where your optimal and suboptimal part are. And give you actionable insights mm-hmm. to improve that microbiome so that you can improve your skin health.
2: So, basically, when you see a dysregulation mm-hmm. in the microbiome, it's mm-hmm. indicative of a particular type of skin condition mm-hmm. that then you would feedback mm-hmm. to the client on how they might go about regulating or adjusting, equilibrating those yes. microbiome. And I guess this is the IP part of the startup. Mm-hmm. It's a spin off then from GIS. Mm-hmm. How did you pitch this?
1: As you said, it correctly started everything from GIS. So the very first pitching, serious pitching, was happening in GIS for the GIS Innovation Fellowship. So that's where we actually pitched, I would say more or less, in front of a panel of scientists at GIS back then. In order to get the award and get a first fund, so to say capital, to develop the technology Mm. so that we can have a small product, was to pitch them a principle or an idea and how do we want to implement it to develop the technology. So that was for a pitch for a gap funding, Mm -hmm. which was also organized and put in place by A-Star. Astar. So anyone that wanted to bring science to to the market, was able to apply for this gap funding.
2: Interesting, yeah.
1: Without going too much in details, the gap funding was a a capital money that was going to develop the technology. There was no shares associated to that capital. So let's say it was like a grant money.
2: So you didn't have to assign over any... To, no ownership
1: oh. to, to any entities. Understood. Uh, there was like some um, understanding about the IP mm. because was of course technology that was developed at GIS. And with that in mind, we developed some first understanding of how can we bring this to technology. And so only back then, we got the fellowship mm. and we started really working on the next year on the technology. Mm-hmm. So in 2019, we ended up with a product that was ready for market. Right. So that was a version one of this kit mm. that allows you to collect the skin microbiome. In your genetics. For that point on, for us, how can we bring this to uh, higher sales? Are we going in the right direction? And of course, we needed more investment. Yes. And uh, that journey was really quite tough because at that point I was finished with my PhD. So I was uh, ready to go for the company full time. Okay. But we didn't have any capital. So, tight, very tight. So there was a little bit of things that we needed to take care mm. of until we participated to several events. And one of the events was organized by L'Oreal, L'Oreal I- Innovate. Yeah, this is,
2: L'Oreal seemed like really the type of company that would be interested in this yeah, exactly. technology, yes.
1: And then we participated, of course, because it was price money involved. <laughs> <laughs> <Naturally>. <laughs> and we needed money desperately. Of course, Ollie and I put our investment as well. Every investor that comes to you said, like, how much did you put? They all ask, you know, one skin on the game.
2: Right? <laughs> they want to know you're all in yes. <laughs> before so, they jump on.
1: Because there's a lot of scientists that have that idea that yeah, I can do it, but I need investment. But have you put any money? Mm. Like, not really. I have my technology. I have my ideas. I think that would work. Mm. But uh, it's not It's not the way it works. We ended up winning that competition. So we had the price money put back. And that was a really first exposure. Yes. Traction. People yes. were interested. Investors were coming to us. Yeah. And we have a few investors, but then the pandemic hit.
2: Okay. Yes. So I'm talking
1: about end of 2019. And that was that was a really difficult time because there was money going into the biotech. And I would say... That was an advantage for us, but uh, in Singapore we had uh, some difficulties to find investors because a lot of investment was going specifically for Covid. So because there was so much going on in Covid, Oli and I, since we had a company, we wanted to use Sequential as, you know, kind of a distribution or partnership channel Mm -hmm. for all these companies that are actually working on Covid. But uh, that was really difficult because (laughs) we were two men. really working on trying to connect with several companies.
2: But it shows the initiative to be able to quickly pivot yeah. and I guess team up with who's in your ecosystem Correct. and how you can leverage there. Yeah. yeah, It sounds like there were some challenges mm-hmm. early that have really set you guys up to accept that there are going to be setbacks, but how to learn from those. Yeah, exactly. And thinking about in the initial stages, I may be wrong here, but was it a business-to-consumer mm-hmm. product that you were working on? So there's marketing involved, then there's the advertising...
1: So the challenge was actually finding the right consumer. So it's not about the use of the technology, it's really telling the, is he the right person we need to sell to? So our consumer or market research wasn't intensive enough to look exactly what the consumer want. So I learned, if I think now I learned really soon, that you never ask your consumer what they want.
2: Because they don't really know yet. Or
1: they will tell you, I want everything. Oh, yeah. you know, There's two options. They don't know what mm. they want, but also they say like, yeah, I want this. Mm. If you ask them, what do you want? Yeah, I want $1 million in my <laughs> bank account. Can you provide that to them? You cannot. So there's a specific questions that you need to ask, which we didn't know. Mm. But that came on, as a part of really the learning process. And how it happened is that we needed more investment to come in. So during the pandemic, it was really hard and we had people coming in. But there's sometimes you need to learn how to say no, although you are desperate for money. There was one investment that came in and they said, like, look, we want to give you 200,000 Singapore dollars, which for us back then that was like,
2: is, yes, we needed money. Definitely.
1: For 20% of the
2: company. Oh, yeah.
1: Tough. Okay. And we had six months of discussion with these people and I was, okay, this is a very difficult choice. Then we asked one last question to them, sorry, what you guys can do for us more than just money? Mm. So that's what you need to ask investors don't only ask capital, they need to ask more than what they can do for you. Mm. Opening channels, opening distribution, connecting with all the investors Mm. and all aspects that you need to think on the next step. But because we didn't know that, so we asked them, their response was like, we don't really know well your product, we don't know. And Oli and I were discussing, I was like, look man, I don't think, I know we are desperate for money, but Oli as well was saying." I remember correctly, said, I don't think we can. No, we cannot go ahead. And uh, bootstrapping, again, bringing the capital. So Ollie was bringing his money as well. So we, we started using our savings. Mm-hmm. Also asking people, you know, families, I ask, I asked can say it, I asked families from, for money. And luckily in 2021, after pitching to several investors, we got one investor, SOSV from United States. Mm-hmm. It's a big investment company, but they have this small acceleration program. What is an acceleration program? It's actually a Really good platform for startups, they give you a bit of capital, but they can accelerate your business very quick. So that's why I that's called Accelerator. Need, yes. Okay. So they came with the very first quarter of a million and they accepted our intake that cohort in 2021. We had to go to US for four months to, you know, apply and finish the program. And at the end of that program, you have a demo day where you pitch to many investors. These are VCs? These are VCs. Okay. VCs, angels, mm. whatever are, they come into this room. Again, virtual room back then, because Mm. we were still under COVID. And that helped us really a lot to understand how your product to narrow down. So that's why our B2C model added on to a B2B model. So business to business was starting to become a mode of revenue for us, Mm. capital coming in. So the way we did it is using our technology to help cosmetics and clinics to test their own products line that they have. Because there are products that can affect your skin microbiome and they change your skin microbiome to certain levels, but they didn't have the technology to capture that change. Right. So we were okay. You were that the, technology. We were the that link. technology that helped them to understand a bit more.
2: Now so, but who energy. linked you up with the clients in terms of the B2B? Where so did initially that
1: link? it was an organic kind of transition. Okay. Because we were pitching to all these, these VCs. Comp- VCs yeah. but also these competitions, mm-hmm. conferences, we were going to conferences. Mm-hmm. And that was really organic and there was a lot of going on the skin microbiome in the cosmetic industry. Mm especially now there is a lot Definitely of information mm. and people are really looking at how can we develop product that are microbiome centric but a lot of testing on the microbiome was done in vitro you are familiar with the in vitro system growing tissue in a, in a dish and then testing in a dish but the in vivo model was me- missing
2: let the listeners know what the in vivo model is so in vivo is.
1: model and in vitro model two different things yes. so an in vivo model is basically done on real people or in a real living organism okay but in this case, we were done in human. Mm-hmm. Basically, we use our patch yes. to collect the skin microbiome, test before after a product was used, mm-hmm. and see the changes yes. over a time. Yes. An in vitro system is actually when it's done in a lab in a dish. You basically grow stuff in a dish, mm-hmm. you leave it there. But the problem is that you're missing the full human system.
2: What's the benefit of doing it in the lab versus the in vitro version?
1: For the in vitro versus the in vivo model?
2: Yes, in place of the actual human, patient, client. What's the benefit of the cell culture? So, is the, the, the controlled... cell culture, I mean,
1: I worked my, doing my PhD primarily in the cell culture is an easy way to do it. Oh, I see. It's a simple, quick tool mm. to be done. And, but the, the somehow the disadvantage is that you don't have the full understanding because in a culture, you can grow a certain level of bacteria.
2: That's it. The
1: control environment. The control environment plus how many bacteria you can actually, or fungi you can actually grow in a dish mm. at the same time. Yes. Whereas in your skin, they're all living. Yes. There and they're <laughs> coexisting for a reason. So, We just need to find the right tool to collect it, Mm -hmm. to be as accurate as possible, to see what is happening in your skin. And also, in the regulatory point of view, companies are being somehow asked to have a bit more in vivo data to substantiate their product Mm -hmm. or their claims. Like in a pharmaceutical industry, you need more rigorous data to show that it's in vivo working. I mean, you can start from an in vitro station, that's where your discovery is. Then you go down to the, your clinical studies where actually the translation the translational happen. Same thing is consumer and cosmetics are going in the same direction. Mm. It's not as tight as clinical studies, but it's going in that direction. Mm. And a lot of companies are being asked as well, exactly, what does it mean microbiome friendly? So what is a product that is microbiome friendly? You want a product that doesn't switch or shift your microbiome too much <laughs> because it's, your nat- it's a natural habitat that's exactly. that happening. Yeah. So cosmetic companies don't know how to answer that question. So they come to us.
2: You're like one of the disruptors, I would say, or first movers in this particular market. So in Singapore, if we transition to how the company is now progressing here, can you tell us a little bit about how you've gone about employment? What's your company expanding to mm-hmm. from now and maybe a little bit into the future if you can forecast?
1: Yes. After we finished the IndieBio cohort acceleration program, mm-hmm. we got investor coming in. Mm-hmm. And one of the investors was a Singaporean investor was really excited about the technology and they invested us early on during the seed round. So basically we got our seed round and that's where we started employing people. We still had to have a presence in the United States because a lot of clients that we work in it was in the United States. But more and more we were getting clients from Southeast Asia and Singapore. Okay. And our lab, uh, which is located at ASTAR Central at this point, were really a good place in Central Lab so that we can be connected with several companies around Singapore. And uh, we started hiring technicians. Our f- first hires were primarily focused on the process of the samples that we were receiving.
2: So this would be a lab-based. It's a lab-based uh, yes.
1: technology gotcha. where the samples need to come to our lab. Mm. We still need to go through a process of extraction. What means that? What does it mean is that basically when this patch come to our lab, yes. we need to understand what is the composition of the bacteria mm-hmm. that is in your skin. In order to do that, you need to take out their DNA okay so without too much details what the dna component is really telling you is how many bacteria or different bacteria this you is have how in your you quantify
2: the acne. bacteria each yes.
1: bacteria has different dna's sequence, sequences yes yes and these sequences can be targeted and once you know how to target them mm. then you can quantify them in a percentage way and then you show the consumer this is your percentage of this bacteria for example yes C acne is one of the bacteria it's called cutie and it tells you okay you have much of this bacteria we need to lower a bit of level mm-hmm. and we can give you these suggestions to do what. To do. And that's why we started hiring more people and uh, we have a great team. We, the hiring process was really facilitated as well from Singapore government. Oh, so, yeah. There's different platforms and opportunities for companies to post a job.
2: Yeah.
1: One is called My Career's Future, where you have talented people there and mm-hmm. you just apply the job position. Mm-hmm. So my employee that I have now, we're all hired through, through that channel. That's wonderful. And uh, we have a team in US as well. Yep. And so our lab is at the J-Lab in New York. Mm-hmm. Johnson & Johnson actually wanted to uh, understand a bit more what we're doing. So he's our client. And because he was our client, they gave us access to part of the lab. Also, we recently got a grant money from the United Kingdom. Mm. So we have as well opportunity to open a UK lab. So yeah. we have hired people there. We have bioinformaticians. We are now around 13 to 15 people.
2: If we might just pivot over to the partners that you're currently working with. Technical collaborations, part of that, and also maybe if there's anything that you can touch on in terms of local Southeast Asia mm-hmm. partnerships, and how is that business model progressing or maturing here?
1: Yes. So at the moment, we have five to six Singaporean clients mm-hmm. that we work with, and these are all B two B model, or I would say B two B to C model. And let me break it down. What that B two B to C is that this. Clients that we work in, they have clinics and different access to consumers where our kit is used as a channel to reach their consumers.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So we basically sell the kit with a report to them mm-hmm. and they sell it to the consumer. Right. So that's the B2B to C model. Even in Singapore here, we have a company that is highly expert on the skin side. They have cosmetic products. But our capabilities in terms of testing are not only now focused on the skin. We're going beyond that. We are doing scalp microbiome. Scalp? scalp as a scalp okay yeah, hair scalp. we are doing oral microbiome so mouth microbiome yes there's quite a lot of interesting products in mouthwashes that want to understand how they actually can remove mouth of odors course. and microbiomes are one component of that mm-hmm. and also women's health intimate areas mm. where has been really kind of a strong interest of us right now because there's a lot of product out there that are accessible but there's not much understanding for the so to say intimate areas or, or in this case vaginal microbiome for Mm -hmm. women to understand a bit how to take care better of their health. It's a very intimate discussion, but because of that, we need to educate a bit more consumers. So a lot of clients that we have now in Singapore, Mm -hmm. we are working on intimate areas and testing products on how they
2: improve Mm -hmm. uh, women's health that really struggle to sometimes have a normal life. Yeah, well, Albert, on that, congratulations, kudos, for bringing up those type of sensitive and sometimes difficult to have conversations. It really opens the door for this type of technology to expand while also educating the population. And yeah, obviously it's a new area, thinking about the different aspects that you can apply to skin, starting with, oral, scalp, I don't see there being a limit to any part of the human body that this technology can be applied to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so kudos for going into the sensitive areas, intimate areas as well. It shows that there is very big confidence in your product.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of demand on that. And also, without really limiting our work with Singaporean companies, we are offering the same service to several companies in Thailand. So we're we're having the products sent to Thailand, Australia as well. And we are now speaking to several companies in Korea and in Japan.
2: Oh, I can imagine the Korean market would Mm. be very big here.
1: It's very big, but at the same time, very saturated. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) It's very saturated in terms of products. You know, everyone is speaking about microbiome product. And consumers don't understand what that means. You know, what does it mean a microbiome product? And there's this conversation about pre-post probiotics. People are know what is going on. They are, okay, it's good probiotic. They speak about gut again. Yogurt is good, probiotics, Yes. you know, all these components, but really breaking it down what those components are and what are the benefits of it is very difficult for the consumer. So you have pre-component, which is the food. You have the probiotics, which is the live bacteria. Yes. So they eat that food yes. and they release proteins and different molecules mm-hmm. that goes into your skin or your mm-hmm. gut or whatever, and those are called postbiotics. Oh, wow. Okay. So these are the three components. So yes. you have the pre, the pro, and the post. So what can you change here to improve your skin's health mm-hmm. is very difficult. Because one component is like, oh, let's put live bacteria. That's the best part mm. to give it, uh, consumers the right solution. So if your microbiome is imbalanced, mm. I'll give you what is missing. Yes. Yeah? But the challenge is that these bacteria, if you try to graft them in the skin, mm-hmm. they don't stay well. Right. Plus, it's a live bacteria. If you put them in a product, <laughs>
2: no you, longer you, can,
1: you <laughs> cannot even sell it because as a guideline for a product manufacturing, you should be as sterile as possible. Mm. So if you want to sell it as a probiotic, you have to keep it in the fridge, the life shelf is very short. Mm. As a big company, they're not going to invest in something like this. Mm-hmm. But what you can change is the pre and the postbiotic.
2: Right.
1: So, this food for the bacteria. Mm. So, we have a product that we are developing actually based on the data we collected so far.
2: Can you tell us a little bit more so about So It's
1: a product that helps improve skins in certain levels. We have categorized people with mm. the specific microbiome mm. profile and we can work on the pre and the postbiotic cocktails mm-hmm. to prove people's skin. And we're still working on that and pushing that forward that technology, because at the end of the day, what consumer want is actionable inside. Mm. You can give them as much information as you want about the skin microbiome, but at the end of the day, they will ask you, like, what can I do What's now? the outcome? It's something that works mm. for me. And that's why we learn it about the consumer side. Mm. That process of, ah, oh, we have a kit, it will give you this, will tell you. I mean, I love that part. Yes. I mean, you love the <laughs> genetic components. <laughs> exactly. You want to know, I have this mutation potentially that can have this risk. But for the consumer, that is not relevant. <laughs> If you tell them they have a risk, it doesn't mean they have it. Mm. Actually, you give them more problems and more things to think about it. Whereas if you give them, okay, this is your level of uh, bacterias and we have the solution to improve, that makes sense. So actionable insight is really key for us.
2: Okay. So what's next for Sequential
1: after that? The next step is for us is to expand and grow. We have new clients that are coming in. We have uh, participated to several exhibitions. And open a bigger lab is our key right now. Eastern Central has been a really great place for us, accommodating, they guide us, also give us a connection with clients that we can potentially work. So the ecosystem at InstaCentral and in Singapore has been very positive and also helped us to grow and get that traction forward. Now it's really expanding, having a bigger lab, more automation, that's really important. As a lab, we need to follow certain regulations. Automation is going to be key, having precise results, following the GPL guidelines for laboratory practice is very key so these things that need to be implemented in forward and in growth as a business but also what Oli and I was and I speak for Ollie I think here is we've been always interested on the therapeutic aspect so we entered as a cosmetic working with cosmetic companies but ultimately we want to enter in the therapeutic aspect it be sequential as a testing solution for clinical trials there's a lot of companies that are working in a microbiome therapeutic solution. There's one recent microbiome product that are coming from several therapeutic companies, pharmaceutical companies as well. However, being the one-shop testing solution is going to be the part that we want to enter. Because That's at the moment- the you
2: see the gap at the moment.
1: Yeah, at the moment, how do they work is, I don't know if you have been involved in any of the clinical studies that are happening, but there's several entities that are taking place. Mm-hmm. We call them CROs, entities that work together in these clinical trials. We need the kit to be FDA approved, but at the moment, because it's a cosmetic grade product, It doesn't have to be Mm. approved or any entities that are involved into a medical device. It's not a medical device at this point. But with the question that you ask where Sequential wants to go Mm. is to become a medical device.
2: Medical device. That Mm. that field is quite regulated though.
1: Exactly. So we need to have certain rules and certain aspects that we need to implement Mm. so that we are cleared to use as a medical device. Mm. Even here in Singapore, uh, HSA has to clear it. So far, when I applied for that clearance, we were fine because we are not a medical device. You've
2: already started with the applications for... We started med- with application. Wow.
1: But because the test right now is purely for cosmetic use, mm-hmm. we still need to go through HSA, but we have to have the goal to say, like, okay, at the moment, it's not a medical device. Okay. So it's same thing for United States. We have to go through FDA. Mm-hmm. So we have to clear that one saying, okay, it's not a medical, not a medical device. device. Yes. yes. The CE mark for... Europe as well. Mm -hmm. That's another kind of certification that needs to be done, if it's a medical device.
2: If it's a medical device. I was recently at a conference where the disclosures at the beginning of talks all had to mention whether they were representing a medical device. Yeah. yeah. So this is not new and it's seeming like starting that process early is the best case scenario for, I would imagine, implementation within the next three to five years. What's the runway that you're expecting for a medical device company approval? I
1: think we're in the next Six to seven years, because we haven't really gone full on on that aspect. We need still some capital coming in. Our next fundraising, which is going to be a Series B, we haven't reached Series A funding. Uh, We uh, we will need to go for a Series B, where we'll need a substantial
2: substantial amount. amount
1: And the next Series A Mm -hmm. is going. We're looking for a more institutional investor, which (laughs) means that somebody who can come with uh, a stronger capital and lead the round, so to say, so that can push
2: push, yeah, definitely. In terms of each of these rounds of investment, is there an obligation back to A Star to mm-hmm. provide some return on their investment, or have you really spun off Sequential so that it's completely your baby
1: now? One part of the technology that we were using initially, mm-hmm. which was the genetic part, mm-hmm. not the microbiome component, but more on the you know DNA part mm-hmm. that was mentioned during the gap funding. Yes, that's that's a work that we did with A Star and GS. So the IP is one within ASTAR. But as a spin-off from the company itself, there's nothing linked to ASTAR. Oh, we are an independent company. And the gut funding was primarily like a good money. If you spin out something, you basically, how it works, as a sequential, we license back from ASTAR. Mm-hmm. Initially, we use that technology, but that we are not focused that much on the DNA part. We mm-hmm. are focusing only on the microbiome component.
2: Okay. But it, the
1: way it works with the GAF is basically you license
2: mm. the technology. License the technology. That's definitely one of the key focus points of A Star. Mm-hmm. And also being in this ecosystem, embedded here in the incubator of A Star Central, are you able, I was sequential able to leverage off learnings of other spin offs and really look at the benefits each of you or all of the spin offs here can bring to the table and learn from one another?
1: Yeah, I think the startup environment here in Singapore is very. Exciting. Mm -hmm. A-Star Central is a really good place Mm -hmm. because we are not the only startup company there. I would say (laughs) pre-COVID was a really interesting environment. There was a lot of discussion going on. Nowadays, it's really becoming hard to connect with people because everyone is working from home remotely. But there is always that flow of conversation. And uh, I actually had more connection and contact with potential clients through A-Star Central (laughs) during the COVID pandemic because during the COVID pandemic, you know, the microbiome has started to become really a hot. Topic. Very hot. Yes. And uh, it's interesting enough is that PCR started to become a common word. But for exactly. us, PCR is such a long, such an old technology. <laughs> yes. But now everyone knows what a PCR is and uh, everyone wants to understand a bit more about mm-hmm. health. Health is becoming really a strong topic. Mm-hmm. Wellness and what do I need to prevention? Mm-hmm. So those are all things that became really a strong driver for us as well.
2: There was that time that all technologies were hot during the COVID and you guys have really survived. Just a real quick question. So in terms of yourself, your team, how do you define what success looks like?
1: Ah, that's a really good question. (laughs) I think uh, growth of yourself is really great success for me. I mean, I think personally, of course, success can be interpreted in different Mm. sectors. One will say like, I want my company to be acquired Mm. by a big player in the industry. I want to go public with my company mm-hmm. and just really make it big.
2: You don't strike me as that type of entrepreneur, though.
1: When I started with Sequential and Oli, I was always eager for innovation. So I think personally, growth of yourself is a great
2: success. Mm-hmm.
1: And it only can happen if you push.
2: I'm going to just wrap up with one last question. I'm going to give you the opportunity to give a specific mention or a plug or just anything that you want to want to talk about in this last few minutes that we have, Albert.
1: Well, I think um it has been uh, as an entrepreneur or as a scientist, I would say mm. uh, it's been really an uh, interesting journey. When I think back when I was in Switzerland, I will never imagine I would be working on my own company and start up a company. That was not something that I thought about initially. I was very science driven I wanted mm-hmm. to work on the technology and discovery that was it
2: so you saw yourself being research, research academic style yeah, yeah.
1: and uh, and I was really very involved in my PhD. I loved it, but when I think back now, I miss it a bit, that work on the lab. Because I thought that working in the lab at the PhD was really a rewarding aspect, but it turns out that it's, yes, rewarding, but even better when you see it, appreciate it, and value it, but the people that really don't know much about science and technology. And I think that's what the core part of an entrepreneur should be, and understanding okay. you want to bring that science and make it accessible to everyone else. And for entrepreneurs, there's different entrepreneurs. During my indie bio cohort in New York, you had that guys that really started with a business, and somebody who added the idea, and they combined forces. Ours For was a bit of a different. So we were scientists first, then became entrepreneur later. And uh, sometimes it's very difficult to go this route. You try to keep perfect. You want to be perfect. So something that I learned that you cannot be
2: perfect. You better let that go a little. You got to let it go. <laughs> yeah.
1: You have to let it go. This is never going to be something that you think it will work.
2: To be honest, Albert, looking at your journey, both you and Ollie, I think you're setting the blueprint for how scientists might need to be thinking for the future in terms of discovery to translation and including that ecosystem of business involved mm-hmm. and it's the bigger picture so you're able to illustrate how is this benchside research going to change people's lives
1: it reminds me of I don't know if you were in that GIS talk sometimes back I remember we were sitting on the back mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you were there but on the front you had all the professors mm-hmm. lined up And this guy was actually a scientist that turned entrepreneur that gave to GIS to give a public speaking about innovation and how to become an entrepreneur. And funny enough, the very first slide that he showed (laughs) was a comparison of impact factor of a science paper
2: Mm.
1: and a comic book, right? So he just posted it right there with all the professors lined up, like so provocative, you know? And then you can see the impact factor of a comic book going up to a 1 billion or something. (laughs) And the most cited New England journal, like Impact factor 70-something. That's right. And he starts with that, right? And then that blows away everywhere. You can see the professor in front being like, Whoa. like this is This is, all, this
2: this is, is all. how we're all graded if we give everyone an <laughs> and idea. And I was
1: like, I wanted to applaud. Like, that was it. That's it. That's what he wanted to see. you know? But, I mean, that was some of our comic presentation. But mm. it kind of makes you reflect a bit. As a scientist, we are so close in these cubicles, mm. in these small rooms. Mm. We see this world. But we saw are blinded to mm, what was going the... on and trying to bring that, we had so many roadblocks. Roadblocks uh, as, a, as a entrepreneurs, well, many things did not work, mm. especially bringing that to the consumer side. It was very challenging.
2: This has been a fantastic sharing session, Albert. Where can people find you? How can they get in contact?
1: My LinkedIn is very straightforward. I'm very active on LinkedIn. So Good. just look for Albert Dashi. Mm-hmm. And of course, our website, sequentialskin.com and sequential.bio. Right. These are the two websites. Yes. And of course, if you want to come and just grab a coffee, we are at Block 79, High Raja. It's
2: Crescent. One North.
1: And One North, right just across the road of One North MRT. Be happy to chat, discuss about anything you want to discuss, skin microbiome, non-skin microbiome.
2: Mm. I hope yeah. in some years' time we can come back and revisit this discussion, Please. see where yeah. you are at, you guys, Ollie, the whole team.
1: Well, thank you very much again for this great
2: discussion. Thank and you, yeah. Albert.
0: And with that, thanks for listening. Please hit like and subscribe wherever you are getting your podcasts. Thanks for joining us for our launch series and be sure to look out for future episodes as we explore the intersection of science, technology, and business in the growing Singapore deep tech scene together.